G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Today marks the 250th anniversary of Captain James Cook's arrival at Botany Bay. Some mark the actual date as the 28th of April and others on the 29th of April. Well, the truth is, it all depends on the international dateline, which didn't come into effect until 1884. And... To add to the confusion, Captain Cook operated on nautical time, meaning his day started at noon, 12 hours ahead of the civil day. So how important is it to recognise the date of Captain James Cook's arrival on the Endeavour? Well, Captain Cook is the man who discovered Australia. Now, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people sometimes have an issue with that because they were already here. But he's described as the greatest combination of seaman, explorer, navigator and cartographer that the world has known. So addressing the question today as to whether Captain James Cook was a Christian and whether his faith may have been part of his motivation in going on voyages of discovery. Graham McLennan has a long interest in Australia's Christian history. He founded the Christian History Research website, chr.org.au. Graham's joining us. Graham McLennan, welcome along to 2020. And thank you for the welcome. Graham, Captain Cook, well, he captained the Endeavour and history sees him as a great and courageous explorer, but he was really a very private man at heart, didn't actually talk a whole lot about his personal faith. Uh, yeah, it was interesting because he grew up as an Anglican and he was influenced by the uh, Walker brothers at Whitby uh, where they, he lived in that family of Quakers and so he was influenced by the Quakers and he continued living with them even as a sailor uh, when he joined the Navy and so on. He he didn't want to join the, the ships that the Walker brothers had uh, and but he did want to enter the Navy, which wasn't a, a good occupation at the time. Uh, they still treated them pretty cruelly, and there was a war coming up with France. So uh, it was very brave of him to make that decision because uh, the Walker brothers did want him to uh, uh, head up one of the ships, to captain one of the, their own colliery ships. Mm. Of course, if we were talking about that time, uh, 18th century, we're talking about times here which you can mark with the likes of John Wesley and the great awakening that was going on. So undoubtedly the religious environment that he'd come from uh, would have affected him as a person. In fact, as I understand it, he was baptised as an Anglican. His mum was from um, Martin and Cleveland, a small village in northeast Yorkshire, and uh, he was born the 27th of October, 1728. His dad was a Scottish farmer, labourer, and um, they had a little baby shortly after their marriage. And uh, he was um, christened, baptised, actually, yeah, on the, at St Cuthbert on the 3rd of November, 
that year that they uh, that he was born. He was he was born on the twenty seventh of October, seventeen twenty eight. Third of November, he was baptised. Yeah. So Graham, was, uh, you mentioned usual. his Quaker connection. That's a Christian group, and uh, they've been quite well established here in Australia. And maybe that's partly due to. Captain Cook, but uh, this Quaker connection. Quakers were known because they, when they were in prayer or times of fellowship, uh, they would uh, yes. they would shake and shudder, and yes, uh, and a very interesting uh, Christian connection there. It certainly influenced Cook's life to a great deal, actually, and he loved them, and they were part of the family. He was part of the family there at Whitby, uh, which was a town of ten thousand people. It was mainly a shipbuilding area. And so he became accustomed to the ships. He was uh, slightly to uh, the north of that previous uh, with a uh, shop. And uh, they actually felt that uh, he should be trained by the Whitby's, the family there. They were called the Scottowies. So they, uh, he was taught uh, the three R's and the catechism, actually. Uh, but he, they realised he was very good at arithmetic and those types of uh, subjects. So uh, they knew that he had a future ahead of him. Now, he might have been a very secretive man, but we might not know much about his own faith. We can see his tradition is Anglican, but one of the telling points might well be that his son, Hugh, in fact, entered into the Christian ministry. Yes, true. He died um, before that happened, and... uh, Actually, James Cook himself had uh, four brothers and sisters that died in infancy. So the death rate was quite high amongst children at that time. But um, he had good morals, obviously taught to him by his family uh, as he grew up in the Anglican church. And his son was, which is not unusual for the firstborn son to enter the ministry, actually, at that time. But he was, um, he, he had a lot of characteristics about him, compassion and conciliatory in treatment of, of natives, as he was uh, to learn later on in life. And uh, he, he was concerned about the welfare of his men, as well as uh, the courage and determination that were born out of those years in Whitby and at home. So he had cool and just in judgment. He had a cool and controlled in speech. And uh, he would never got angry, apparently. He would not allow profanity on board, which even professing Christians tolerate these days. I don't know how to do that. You know, when a person blasphemes Christ's name, it's difficult to know what to say. He required his men to wear clean clothes on Sunday, and on occasions he conducted divine service for his crew, and that's recorded in, in his journals that he did take services. And the reason he did that is that most of the larger naval ships had chaplains and surgeons who did chaplaincy work, and um, he certainly would have been sympathetic not indifferent or hostile to the faith because uh, his wife gave him a prayer book and he uh, read that often uh, and named a number of places on significant days such as the Whit Sundays, Trinity Bay, Christmas Island, Pentecost Islands and so on. So, so there was a Christian influence there. The only hint of him understanding the Lord in, in his writings was uh, when they were shipwrecked after coming to the eastern coast of Australia and um, Zachary Hicks uh, was the first to sight at the eastern coast of Australia, and uh, that's why it's called Hicks Point down in Victoria. But they were sailing up the north after being at Botany Bay, of course, and uh, they entered the reefs. They, they 
didn't realise there were reefs up there. And then, in fact, one of the reefs is called Endeavour Reef near Cooktown, where they had to go in because the ship had been um, damaged. And just after leaving there, they went up and were caught in a, another reef. And they were going to be, uh, well, they were going to lose a ship. And so they'd probably never ride back home. And, and it was interesting because uh, just a small wind shifted them just immediately between the reefs and they were managed to get uh, ashore. And he called that providential channel. And he said, please God, at this very juncture, to send us a light air or wind, which with the help of our boats carried us about a half a cable's length from the present danger. That's in, a, in, a, in other uh, versions, it's, it's more lengthened than that. But it says that, for instance, on dated the 16th of August, 1770, a little after, after four o'clock, the roaring of a surf was plainly heard. And at daybreak, the vast foaming breakers were too plainly to be seen, not a mile from us, towards which we found the ship was carried by the waves surprisingly fast. We had at this time not an air of wind and the depth of water was unfathomable. So there was not a possibility of anchoring in this distressed situation with nothing but providence and with the assistance of the boats could give us to trust to uh, escape our dangers. So it is interesting. Richard Pickerskill, the master's mate, said this, the narrowest escape we ever had, had it not been for the immediate help of providence, we must inevitably have perished. So we, uh, Cook actually uh, realised that it was God that helped save their boat. So that's about the only indication we know of his faith uh, in all his journals and writings. Well, he may have been a very private man, but as you've shared some of those details there, uh, there are people who wrote about him and the way they wrote about him and uh, drew attention to some of those elements of his character. Uh, that's yeah. really, really powerful. The fact that he would lead the divine service on a Sunday uh, and in the absence of a chaplain, because uh, that all continues on today, doesn't it, when you're on ships? If anyone has ever been on a cruise and you go to the Sunday service on a cruise, but usually yeah. it's the captain yeah. of the yeah, cruise sure. ship who yeah. actually runs the service and the captain yeah. takes responsibility for the spirituality on board. You draw important attention to the idea of the military and their respect for those who have a Christian leadership. And given the timing, 18th century, as we say, around that time of the Great Awakening, having such a huge effect on England, uh, certainly not unusual for us to think of Captain James Cook as being shaped by that Christian faith. And when you talk about the way that he named some of those places up the coast of Australia, and when he named the Whitsundays or Trinity Bay, Christmas Island yes. and Pentecost yes. Islands, those are indications that naming those islands uh, with those Christian-connected names, uh, really it was part of his vernacular to use these Christian terminologies. Yeah, he grew up in a Christian culture and it reflected his Christian upbringing and that culture and, and what values they adhere to, which has vastly changed today and people who are growing up in a secular world today, that culture doesn't uh, reflect those values that they had. But I'd, I'd just like to say why it opened up to the British, uh, that uh, continent of Australia, because uh, there were the Spanish and Portuguese that were... Um, sort of brawling over the area around Australia and the Treaty of Zaragoza, which was in 1529, separated the Portuguese from the Spanish and, and that was a, a vertical line near the Western Australia Northern Territory border. But also the, the Muslims and the Hindus and the Chinese 
wouldn't come down here because the Chinese were worried about this, the kingdom of women down here, and the Hindu Buddhists thought that there was a giant eagle called Garuda, who and certain death awaited them where this abyss would occur just past eyesight of uh, of Timor Leste, and uh, the Muslims. They believed the southern continent was a, a land of the Antichrist, the digital people. So there's, there's like a cross actually formed between the Zara, Treaty of Zaragoza and all these people wouldn't come down further south than uh, Timor. So, uh, and yet there was a bridge that came from, uh, in, in, from the Pacific. And, uh, and as, as I said, Zachary, uh, uh, Hicks was the first to sight the eastern seaboard. And also the fact that, uh, uh, De Kuros thought he'd landed in Australia when he, that's why he called it the Southland of the Holy Spirit, Australia del Espirito Santo, and uh, there then he landed in this big area in Big Bay in Vanuatu, of course, and he thought he'd landed on the continent. But uh, it was Torres that later went across here and discovered other things as well. But um, it was Cook that uh, separated uh, that land of the Holy Spirit to the eastern border, eastern border of Australia, which is. Of course, Vanuatu and Australia thousands of kilometres away, so about two and a half thousand kilometres. So it's an interesting concept of how the sovereignty of God allowed those who were a result of the Wesleyan revival to come here, and that's what happened with the governors and so on, and a lot of the early explorers like Charles Sturt. Well, Graham, it certainly goes a lot deeper when you start to talk about some of the controversies that were going on around the time and those who might have been uh, racing to make their mark on Australian soil, those who would have marked a very different future for our nation had they been the first to arrive. And uh, so an interesting time to be celebrating and not everybody happy with a celebration, but it is 250 years since James Cook has set foot on Australian soil. And Graham McLennan, always appreciate your insights. Thanks so much for taking some time to take us through a few of these thoughts today. And let me point people to the website, Christian History Research, where you can find out some more detail about what we're talking about today and where you can get a taste of a whole lot of other great Christian history research. chr.org.au. That's chr.org.au. Graham McLennan, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.